Hey, Activate listeners, I'm so excited you decided to join us today. Today, we have an incredible guest, Frazier Bunton. In each episode, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you reach your greatest goals. My name is Eric English, and first off, I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. Activate listeners, get out your pens and notepads, or maybe just open up that little notes app on your smartphone. This one is a game changer. Fraser Bunton is a healthcare executive, entrepreneur, and student of human emotion as it relates to work. His career has spanned from being a buyer of toilet paper all the way to leading companies as CEO. Fraser lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and enjoys spending time with his family, paddleboarding rivers, and trail running. But that's just the beginning. He has so much more to share. Today, I talk with Fraser about activating success in your career and life. You're going to absolutely love this episode. Okay, let's get going. Frazier, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today and uh, spending a few moments with us and look forward to uh, getting to know you a little bit more. We had your brother Jeffrey on um, in a previous episode and excited to be connected with you. No, I'm glad to be here, Eric. Uh, appreciate what you, uh, what you do on this podcast and the message that you put out there. So I'm uh, really looking forward to today as well. Awesome. Well, it's always exciting to start with your story and what led you through the different paths that you took into where you are today. So I'll let you kind of jump off with that, whether that's high school, grade school, um, and what landed you to where, to what finds us kind of connected today. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I have, uh, I've had a very winding path. Um, I guess pro- professionally is maybe, uh, where I'll go with most of this that, um, I joke with people if, if, if you tried to guess my history of going from here to there, you, know, you never would have guessed the stops along the way, but um, I am appreciative of those uh, in hindsight, and, and it kind of um, supports the um, theme of you, you never know where you're going to end up and where life's going to take you. But um, from a professional standpoint, my career, uh, I started um, in discount retailing of all places, and my first job was with Dollar General Corporation, which is uh, based here in Nashville, which is where I live. And my first professional job, I always worked um, from a young age growing up, but my first, um, I'll call it professional job, was logistics planner um, with Dollar General Corporation. So my my first job was, was routing trucks of toilet paper and bleach and uh, Christmas trees and all the things that uh, the Dollar General sold. and um, uh, and we may come back to that later, but um, started there and spent seven years at Dollar General, uh, which really gave me a terrific foundation of just good general general business principles. And it was a huge company, nine billion dollars in revenue, and and uh, gave me a chance to see all different facets of um, of how a, a general business works, and, and had some great experiences there. Um, across a couple of different areas. I uh, was fortunate enough to go to business school while I was there um, and, and had the company um, fund part of that. So I did an executive program while I was working uh, nights and weekends um, in business school. 
but didn't want to be a career retail person, wanted to stay in Nashville and be in an industry that was a little more dynamic. Um, so switched over to healthcare, was able to make mm-hmm. a, an industry jump from discount retailing to healthcare and, um, and was part of a company called Healthways here in, in Nashville and uh, moved over to an operations position there and had some terrific experiences. Um, I, I then had always wanted to and, and wondered if I had the guts to be an entrepreneur. Um, and mm. so one New Year's Day, I said to my wife, um, I'm going to spend the next year focusing on this and I'm either going to do it or I'm going to shut up and stop talking about it. And um, just about 14 months later, um, had actually um, found a very small company to buy, had raised some capital from um, a group of individuals in Nashville and, uh, and set off to be a, a founder, co-founder and CEO um, of a healthcare company here in Nashville. Did that for five or six years, ended up selling um, uh, the business in, in two different um, divisions, one of which was to a company in Austin, Texas called White Glove Health. And I went on to be uh, interim CEO of that business, uh, which was owned by a private equity firm in, in New York. Um, ran that for a while uh, to stabilize the company and then had the luxury of, of really taking some time to, to think about um, what I wanted to do next and have been at a, a company called Evelyn Health um, for the past five and a half years. We have gone from uh, an idea. Uh, I was not a founder, but um, uh, in eight years, we've gone from an idea and three people to 4,000 employees and um, over 800 million in revenue. That's really uh, impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. been a fun ride. And, and so uh, here I am today, uh, you know, professionally, that's been the path. That's awesome. Talk to us a little bit, um, Frazier, about a lot of the naysayers with your path. A lot of people say that, you know, they would maybe call you the, you know, somebody that hops jobs frequently or somebody that's not committed, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into the book here in just a few moments, but touch on the positives with that, with yeah. your career path and how that's, you know, led you to where you are and, and a lot of successes along the way. Yeah, certainly. And it feels like with each generation, the, the duration within a, a job uh, gets compressed. So, you know, my path went seven years at Dollar General, five years at Silvercare, uh, a planned shortstop at White Glove, and then five and a half years at Evelyn. So, um, kind of in for a um, for for uh, someone in the forties, forty-year-old uh, generation. That's probably pretty standard. Our parents, um, you know, were more of twenty-year people. Uh, today's young professionals are, are more like you know one or two years. So, um, actually, had a fairly um, you know decent duration within each um, stop. There, what what I faced um, along the way was. Um, and that I was able to overcome was the challenge of, well, you've never done this before. So you mm-hmm. came from, you know, retail, how are you going to be successful in healthcare? Um, or you've been in, um, you know, you, you're, you're only this age, how are you going to lead a group of people that are older than you? Um, or, you know, you've been in this type of healthcare, but you've never, you've never done this type of healthcare. So mm-hmm. how are you going to, you know, really translate those skills over and be successful 
Um, and I've always been able to overcome that by just really believing in the portability of skills. And so general leadership skills, if you're a good Swiss army knife, um, you can take, um, you know, those, those Swiss army knife tools and they're, they're highly portable from, from industry to industry. If you think about it, uh, unfortunately, not a lot of hiring managers, um, you know, understand that and will, and will give Mm -hmm. people a chance, but, um, there is much more portability in those skills than, than most people believe. I love it. Well, your book is titled a monkey can do your job. So there's a few things I want to talk to you about that, but, uh, First of all, what led to the title? You know, what was the process in kind of getting there? I don't know, share that with us. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Uh, The book has been really exciting. Uh, Published it uh, in February, so it has been out for a little while. Um, I have always been what I call a student of the work, Um, and mainly for me personally and, and, and for my leadership roles. And what I mean by student of the work is I, I've always just been very curious about um, how to improve my leadership skills or productivity or deal with, um, you know, feelings that I was having along throughout my career and, and came up with super practical tactics and methods and, uh, and ways of thinking about things and, and you have used those my whole career. So all of that has been very field tested. Um, I've always had a lot of people that I mentored formally and informally. And then several years ago, the companies that I worked for just started to say, hey, will you come talk to our leadership team? Or will you come do a training session and bring your Fraserisms um, <laughs> and, and explain you know, how you do those and, and what they mean because we want to replicate those. And so I've just started doing those types of events. And, and after doing those and having enough people say, Hey, you should write a book. This is really powerful stuff. You know, this is as good as anything I've read after about the 15th person to say that to me, I finally said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Um, and, and knock this thing out. So the, the title, um, actually went back and forth between should it be a monkey could do my job or a monkey could do your job. Because it is <laughs> the, the whole framework of the book, Each chapter is based around um, a feeling that you have during your professional career. And usually these are the intense feelings, the crazy feelings. And so it's uh, each chapter is a feeling that you have. Um, You know, one of those is I feel like a monkey could do my job. That's when you're, you're, you're bored. And Mm -hmm. uh, so each chapter is a feeling, usually an anecdote from my career where I screwed something up or did something stupid um, along the way. Um, (laughs) Um, and then very specific tactics for how you handle that feeling. And, um, and so it's super, uh, applicable to people. And, um, and so it's been fun. It's been very well received. People come up to me and say, I mean, you are in my chapter three, you were just in my head. How did you know exactly what I was thinking? Um, so I think it just really resonates with people around those emotions that you have along the way. That's really, really good. Well, one thing I'll say is in the beginning when we were starting our conversation and and planning this interview, you sent me a copy of the book and, you know, just kind of left it in my court as far as if, if this aligns with the podcast guests and we'll move forward. And what I'll say, you know, there's a couple of different directions you can take in a book like this. It can be complete instructional or it can be more story inspirational based. And that's one thing I really, really liked about your book is, uh, it was a very quick read. 
because the stories were brilliant and it just went really, really well with the content. So I think that will, you know, that will be a, a reason for people to dive in and stay tuned. It's usually a chapter or two yeah. that it takes. And for me anyways, and after a chapter or two, if I'm not hooked, then I typically don't finish the book. And this was one that after a few pages, you know, I knew it was something to kind of stay tuned to. Good, good. Yeah. yeah I tried to, you know, I tried to all, all again, this is, this is not, um, the material in the book is not conceptual. It's not, um, a research study. So, um, really tried to bring in those stories. So it was, um, you know, relevant and field tested and that, um, you know, that piece of it really shines through. Love that. Well, share with us, uh, writing a book uh, has been something that's always been, you know, kind of on my bucket list. Right. And I know a lot of other people are fascinated, interested with the concept of writing, publishing a book. So share with us that process from concept to publish, like what went into that as far as your commitment level? Yeah. Um, it's about it for me, it was about a two year process, uh, two and a half year process from start to finish. And I had, um, I had the general framework of what I wanted to, to put in there just from, you know, the years of kind of the Fraserisms. Um, so the first part was coming up with the, the framework for each chapter. Um, and so that came together around, okay, I'll do a, you know, a feeling I'll do context around that feeling. I'll do an anecdote and then I'll do tactics. So mm -hmm. kind of four parts to each chapter. Um, the discipline is, uh, for me, I had to separate myself from my normal environment. So I work from home, um, or yeah. I'm traveling out to our corporate office or I'm traveling out to customers. Um, I couldn't get focused enough here. So I found the, um, probably the least successful coffee shop in Nashville. Um, Perfect. That was, <laughs> we won't the share quiet, the name. It was the quietest <laughs> and had the, the fewest customers and, uh, was the least cool maybe because their music was low and, and I would frankly go into this coffee shop, uh, put in my earphones with white noise, uh, a white noise app. And for two hours I would just, you know, knock out 2000 words and, um, and, and, you know, go, go from there. So, um, but it was about two and a two, two or two and a half years to get that, uh, piece done, get a manuscript, find a publisher, you know, go through all of the process from that and, and then get it to launch. So, um, it does take a, an investment, but, um, but it was a, it was a fun process. Oh yeah. Most of it was just the commitment and the time. That's right. Yeah. You know, that you poured into it. Uh, I've got a few things noted on here that I think will be fun just to go through. Some of them would be kind of like you said, uh, the subject nature of the chapter, or maybe just pulling out a particular story in the book. So we'll run through some of those. One, the first one that I found uh, fascinating was the intense personal reflection and how that plays a, a big role in career path. But, you know, I, I kind of saw it as also uh, in personal development. So what, what is intense personal reflection? How can we incorporate that into our career growth, personal growth, um, and just, you know, life, our life goals? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, intense personal reflection, uh, before I describe what it is, uh, what it's done for me, it has probably been the most uh, important personal attribute, value, you know, however you want to describe it, um, 
for for me both professionally and personally and um it has been the, the largest enabler of uh you know individual well-being and, and professional success and and so what it is um it's really just taking a step back from the tactical day-to-day -day stuff um on a routine basis that could be monthly um and at a at a professional level um you know stepping away from the computer stepping away from the phone go sit in a conference room with a piece of paper and a pen and for 15 minutes think about what do i like about my job what do i not like about my job what do i what am i good at doing um, whether it's engaging with people and selling or solving problems or uh, strategic thinking mm. um, really thinking about what what am i good at doing what do I like about this industry or not like about this industry? What do I like about this town, you know, or not like about this town? And, and that reflection starts to give you a roadmap to, um, to make decisions around, um, you know, what do you want to do and what you, what do you not want to do from a personal standpoint? Same thing. Uh, you know, what am I, how am I spending my time? Um, what types of people am I surrounding myself with? Um, what what personal um, things do I want to accomplish this month or this year? Mm -hmm. um, and doing that just reflection on a perpetual basis all throughout your life, um, it's kind of like sharpening the saw. And and so you're you know you're just being curious about yourself and taking some intentional time to to step away. And I always do the pen and the piece of paper and I write it down and. Maybe I stick it in my pocket for a day, or maybe I throw it away. But the the process itself of uh, of thinking about that uh, has been incredibly beneficial for me. You know, a couple of things I underlined that I thought were uh, enlightening for me. It, one was you should be moving toward work that you're good at doing, and towards the parts of the world or country in which you want to live. So that's one thing I underlined. The other thing was your career will unfold for you. And I just saw, as I began to underline some of those things, the one note that I made at the bottom was that this process that you're talking about, it's not turnkey. Yeah. You know, these things, and that's what I think is so hard for us these days is that we think we can just turn and we can Google it and we can find out. It's not, it's, you know, it's like you said, it's a weekly, monthly, whatever practice that is. And it, and it does unfold. It doesn't yeah. happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, we are used to as humans being able to, to select a lot of our life. Um, you know, we can go look at apartments and then pick the one we generally want as long as we can afford it. We super you know, fast we, now too, right? Yeah. Super fast. <laughs> we, we, we date people and we, you know, we, you know, we have some selection process and you know, that oh, we, we have control over a lot of our lives, but from a professional standpoint, um, the scope is much bigger mm -hmm. uh, and we tend to have less control over it. And, and that gives us angst. Um, that gives us these feelings um, that gives us a little bit of anxiety. And, and so to be comfortable with not having the answer, no, you know, always because there is no one answer and to let that process unfold and to, to, you know, the question of what do I want to do? is not answerable. That is not the right question. Um, mm -hmm. because most of us are generalists. We, we have no idea what this right. one thing right. that you want to do. There is no one thing. The, the better question is what is the next best thing that I can do now? Mm -hmm. uh, 
and you may not even know what the end goal is. Um, you know, there really is no end goal. It's, it's the, the experience all put together. And so if I can think about what's the next best thing that I can do now and make that decision um, over the long term, when you look back, mm-hmm. as long as you're making, you know, uh, marginally better decisions uh, throughout the path, then that becomes your life. And, yeah. Yeah. and the goal is all of those things strung together, not some ending point where you're, you know, you're at perfection. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, so the, the, the other thing that kind of goes with that, if we're on this path to search for the next best thing, right. Or, or maybe we're just looking to change jobs. I really, I really like the skits and the intense prep. Like yeah. we talked about that. Yeah. Um, the, so the other thing I, that went, that I went straight to, I, I really, you know, for where I'm at in life, I didn't think about career changing jobs. I thought more about using the skits and the intense prep within for me, it would be like sales or business development or, or client relations. I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. You know, yeah. go in there because when you're, when you're working with, for me, agency, you know, you're always, you know, looking to bring the client the next best strategy or the next best tool to kind of set them above their competitors and just really stay on top of your game. And I felt like this, uh, this process would, would be something that you could use in a lot of, you know, sales careers, uh, business development, a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the chapters is called how am I ever going to get or change jobs? And that is a, a feeling that the vast majority of us will have because um, few people will, will stay in the same you know company or role their entire life. And so really what, uh, what you're referring to and, and what this um, part goes into is, is actually it has gotten too easy to apply for jobs these days. If you think about 20 years ago, um, to apply for a job, you had to go buy a newspaper um, yeah. because there was no um, online job boards. You had to look through that newspaper. You had to find something that looked interesting. You had to mail, you know, you had to type up and print out um, <laughs> a cover letter and a resume. You had to put it in an envelope. You had to write the address. You had to stamp it. Like it was actually work to do that. So to apply for five jobs was was hard. It took a couple of hours. Um, now it's gotten so easy that, you know, you just pop on and online submit your resume. And, and, and so the problem that professionals now face is I get lost. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just a, I'm just a number or it's difficult to separate myself. So what, what you're referring to around the prep and the skits is the, the purpose in all of this is to separate yourself. And there are a set of tactics that um, I have never seen them fail. I've worked with a lot of people on these, and when you do them to the level of intensity, um, I've never seen them fail, uh, literally. And, and so some of the, and I've used them myself, one of them is, uh, is this sketch you're referring to. And so when you go in for an interview, you, are, you think about, I am putting on a skit for this person, and I should know this skit just like I'm, I'm in a play, uh, mm-hmm. And I'm reciting my lines. Um, and so the preparation that goes into creating this skit is essential. Uh, and I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed um, for jobs that had never been to our website, had never been to a store, 
you know, couldn't tell me what our company really did. And so the preparation side, um, one, one time I was, I was, when I was switching from retail to healthcare, um, I picked the company I wanted to work for. I, I did so much homework. I probably had 50 pages of notes and my goal was to walk in the door knowing more about that company than anybody who had ever applied for a job there before. Um, and so I, I researched website and PowerPoints and read every, you know, public release and, and studied their customers and, and knew everything. Um, and, and then from a skit standpoint, I then took all that information and I put it into um, a, a couple of like three or four um, themes that I wanted to convey. Mm-hmm. Um, because in an interview, a lot of people in an interview, if you can talk more about the company that you're applying for versus yourself, mm-hmm. you will actually make a better impression. Yeah. Uh, hiring manager cares actually less about you <laughs> and what you've done. They want to know that you know about their company and that you can help their company be successful. So talk more about the company and less about you. Um, and so have that skipped. Be able to say, here's what your industry does. Here's how your company plays in that industry. Here's how this job supports that. Here's how my experience now applies to this job, which um, supports your company, which supports this industry. Like having all of that memorized. And I would go into a conference room and write this skit out on the board during lunchtime. Yeah. Over and over and over for months. So when I got the chance, when I walked in the door, um, and, and then the last piece I'll talk about is, is called hijacking the interview. Um, so when you're in there, you know you're going to get similar types of questions, like tell me a time in your past or, um, you know, what, why are you interested in this company or why are you interested in this job? And you can actually take your skit and, and hijack the interview and, and weave the answers that you want to give um, to a question that they may not have even answered. Um, and you kind of take over and, um, and at the end of that, you've been able to present all of this information, um, to people out and, um, and, and they will, they will be shocked at the level of, uh, knowledge that you have and and how you've been able to, to maneuver the interview. Yeah. And that's what I love the best is kind of controlling the conversation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You're, 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 you're turning it around to you. Um, um, and, and making sure that you, you know, you drive the points home that you want to make. Yeah. Well, I, I can totally rate with mentors, professional networks. Um, so how those played a role both ways, how have you engaged with these people and maybe how have you helped people along the way, uh, through mentorship or professional networks, keeping strong industry contacts. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the feelings we have is I feel like no one cares about my career. Um, and you know, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of by myself here in this company and, you know, I have a manager, but, um, you know, that manager's busy and he or she's not going to throw me on their back and carry me up the hill to my next role. And so thinking about how you can find, you know, other professionals, through formal or informal mentor programs or just a network um, that can, that you can lean on and they can lean on you um, is really important. And 
So there's a couple of ways to do this. I mean, yesterday morning, um, I met with a young professional who had found me on LinkedIn. We went to the same tiny um, college of 1,200 people. Um, He's interested in healthcare. Uh, I had connected him with um, uh, Vanderbilt University. He's Mm -hmm. now doing data science, really cool data science stuff. Um, for Vanderbilt and has a terrific role. And, and he reached out and said, you know, let's get coffee and, and caught up. And, um, and so that, that type of interaction um, could be perceived as scary. Like, how am I going to, you know, cold call this person on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. does this guy really want to have coffee with me? He's, you know, he's really busy. And, um, but having uh, both mentors, um, that are not necessarily have to be um, in the same technical um, sphere as your job. So if you're in finance, you don't actually have to have a mentor that's in finance. You're not trying to learn industry tactics and methods from a mentor. You're trying to learn, how do I solve problems? How do I deal with this situation? What should I be thinking about? Um, How does my career progress? Um, you know, those more um, soft areas of things from, from a mentor. And, um, uh, and so think about uh, having mentors that, that can help pull you along. And well, then it's, from- it's encouraging to, and sorry to cut you off, it's, a, it's encouraging though to hear that, you know, leaders like you are taking those requests, you know, because a lot of times you go back to fear of, of, cold calling or, or emailing someone or sending them a LinkedIn message. Uh, but um, there's proof that it does work and that there are people out there that are willing to, that, that want to help looking that's for opportunities right. to help others. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's a pretty efficient process. If you don't hear back from someone, they're probably not going to be a good mentor for you. So uh, that's okay. Yeah. And the ones you do hear back from, um, you know, you probably do want to have, them as a mentor or, or, um, or in your network. Um, and those are the ones that are going to help you. And so you may not get, you know, everyone to respond. You may not get the coffee meeting with everyone. Um, but from a, from an ROI standpoint, I mean, really how long does this take to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, less than a minute. So yeah, yeah. If, you're, if your failure rate is pretty high, it's still your investment, um, is pretty low. And, um, and you don't need, you know, you don't need 2000 LinkedIn followers um, to call it a network. You need three to five people starting mm-hmm. out and, you know, maybe 10 to 20 um, later on uh, of close people that you can reach out to. So this, this doesn't have to be huge. And, and then on the network side, you know, these are people that can, um, you know, connect the, connect you to others of, Hey, I'm interested in this company. Do you know anyone there? Or, um, Hey, I'm looking to raise money for, um, this startup. Um, you know, are you interested? Uh, I want to, you know, I'm looking for someone to be on our, my board of directors, you know, with this experience, um, or, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this challenge. What do you think? So, mm-hmm. uh, the network, you may not talk to people for six months or 12 months or, whatever. And then you may, you know, have a need and, and pop up and connect with them. So I, I encourage people to have both, um, a mentor and 
a good network and then vice versa, pay it forward. Like once you get some laps around the track, uh, be the person who answers the request and, and help others as well. What's your, what's your thoughts around monetary investment and mentor relationships like that? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's a need to have any okay. sort of payment in that. If, you know, it, it's usually the best people to have in your network or as a mentor um, are ones that are, that someone has lifted them up in the past and they're, you know, they are paying it forward. There's a lot of professional coaches that you mm-hmm. can go get that are really good at taking this to the next level and, you know, setting clear objectives and, um, and, you know, having a targeted problem that you're solving or, you know, an ongoing perpetual relationship. And, mm-hmm. and so if you, if you want that level, um, you know, go, go get a coach, professional coach and, um, and, and those folks can help you. Awesome. Uh, degree of stretch and line of boredom. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that was a lot. I had to reread that a couple of times, but then it, then it really sank in and, it goes back to, to what we were kind of talking about under the intense personal reflection, right? I mean, once, once you hit this part in your career, uh, where, or in a position that you're in and you know, the line of boredom sets in, there's reasons why. Yeah. 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 So there's a, a couple of common feelings and, and they're at extremes. One is, one is the, I feel like a monkey could do my job, um, where you, you're, you've hit that, um, that boredom phase. And the other is I'm buried at work um, and my hair's on fire and I'm failing consistently and, um, and, and I don't really know why. And so it's been fun to take those feelings and think about them kind of from a mathematical standpoint or, or an objective standpoint. And so I, I refer to something, the degree of stretch as that is, that is, quantifying how hard your job is as compared to your skills and experiences. Um, and so early in your career, jobs are hard to get, but they're typically easy to do. So entry level jobs are hard to get. They're easy to do. Um, and you know, my, my, um, some of my early ones kind of pre-professionally, uh, working in the mailroom, delivering ice, uh, just some of the, the, uh, the, the uh, really glamorous entry level jobs that I had, true story. Um, but you, you do these jobs and the degree of stretch, uh, you quickly figure them out and you quickly know how to do them. Um, and the degree of stretch of these jobs declines and, and they're not hard for you. And over time, once you you know, once you have figured out a job, you hit what I call the line of boredom. And that is when your job is, is below your skills and experiences. And you can do that for a while, but, you know, after a year or so of hovering around that line of boredom, um, you need to do something else. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it's okay to, you know, once you hit the line of boredom, don't expect to go get a new job. It's okay to, to you know, cruise control for a little bit and, and wait for the right opportunity. At the opposite end of the spectrum is um, when you've reached the line of maximum, what I call the line of maximum capability. That is where your job consistently um, pushes you beyond your skills and your experiences. Skills mm-hmm. could be technical, like you know finance, um, or 
you know, computer programming, um, line of maximum capability could be on leadership. Um, you know, I'm a first time manager and suddenly I have six direct reports and they're coming to me with all these needs and I don't know what to do. And, and this is pulling me up. My job is above my skill level or my experience level. Um, and, and I've had those where I've, I've bumped up over that line. Um, and it's okay if you kind of bump up near it or above it and then you drop back down and you, you seek help and someone says, oh, well, here's how you deal with, you know, managing six direct reports um, for the first time. And, um, and so if you can just have some awareness of where you sit between that line of boredom and that mm-hmm. line of maximum capability, and if you're hovering around that line of boredom, you've probably been doing the same job for a while. You've probably, you know, quote unquote, figured it out. And, and you know, you can, you can do it easily and it's time to move on. If you are um, consistently bumping up into that feeling of, um, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm buried in work, you may be up against that. Uh, line of maximum capability and your skills and experiences are, are getting challenged and and you need to ask for help um, from your manager uh, peers network mentor whoever um, to help you um, you know get get things down below that line so just having that awareness and yeah, yeah. acknowledging those feelings so oh okay here's where I am um, I'm not going to be here forever but um, I now have the context around why I feel this way and just having what I found is having that context itself mm-hmm. allows me to be okay in the middle of the chaos or be okay in the middle of the boredom. Um, and yeah, that's, self-awareness is huge with, yeah. with that. And you, you kind of talked about how that matched up with your first, you talked about your logistical position with dollar general right. and kind of how that, how it did feel, you know, the, the degree of stretch felt very high in the beginning till you figured it out. And then, yeah, yeah it was a right place sailing after that. <laughs> That's right. There was a lot of, uh, routing trucks was, you know, running this really complex technology system. And then four months later I could close my eyes and do it. And it was right click, you know, drag, drop, yeah. right, click, drag, drop, right. <laughs> Six months of that. You're at the line of boredom. Uh, yeah, three yeah. months previous, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yeah. So you you can pretty quickly move up and down on these things, and then you get a promotion, and bam! Mm-hmm. Suddenly you're you're like, what is going on? I I am I am not sure what I'm doing here. So it it changes definitely with with each job. Well, you have some great stories that coincide with each chapter, and coincidentally enough, you posted on LinkedIn about the story here. You know, yesterday you put that up. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> but something uh something happened in, in Nebraska right at this ball bearing plant when you were leading uh screening, right? For a, yeah. for a company that you're with. Talk about that. Cause I thought yeah. that was pretty funny. Yeah, so so one of the feelings that uh that I have had multiple times that uh, I'm sure many people have is uh and this may be a family-friendly uh, podcast, but uh, the feeling is, what the hell am I doing here? Um, question mark, exclamation point. Um, and those are the times when things have just gone crazy or sideways or um, you just can't believe the situation that you're in. You're not sure how to handle it. Um, and, and I have had some incredible 
incredibly crazy versions of those. And so sharing one, um, which was uh, occurred in uh, rural Nebraska at five o'clock in the morning and about negative 25 degree temperature <laughs> and a massive um, old manufacturing plant that produced of all things ball bearings. Um, and, uh, and so I, the company I worked for, we would, we would provide a, what was called a biometric screening, which is like a mini healthcare physical that we would do on site, um, at a company. And we would take the information, blood work and BMI and, and height and weight, and we would give it back to the employees with the intent of, you know, helping them be healthier and and lower health costs. Um, but to do this, um, you had to fast. So the employees had to not eat for 12 hours before the event. So these people hadn't had their morning coffee. Um, they hadn't had breakfast. Um, you know, they're running a manu- a ball bearing manufacturing plant. It's cold. It's, you know, it is, uh, it's early. And we contracted out to the, what we called the examiners um, who would come out and, and, and execute these, they would put on the screening event. They would, draw blood that would do the measurements trusting that Um, they show up right trusting that they would show up uh, (laughs) at five o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere nebraska so i'm the senior director of operations i'm my job is to go around to these events and make sure they go well and i get up in the crack of dawn and drive in my rental car through snow and ice and my you know my khakis and my blue blazer and i show up at this massive ball bearing plant um, I can't even find the front door to this place. It's so big. And, and I finally get there and I walk in and there are 400 ball bearing manufacturing employees standing there, um, silent looking at me and, and I find the human resources manager who's my customer and the human resources manager has this white look on her face. Um, and I walk up to her and I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm a young guy. And I'm, you know, I'm here to help them out. And, and she says, the examiners aren't here. And I say, what? And she says, yeah, the examiners aren't here yet. Uh, and, and so sure enough, none of the examiners that we had hired showed up. Um, and I can't remember if it was they just blew off the event or there was a problem in, with the date and they thought it was a different date. Um, and so I, I now am standing there in front of 400 um, employees that have been fasting for 12 hours the entire plant has been shut down. So they're losing money. I mean, yeah. you're not running yeah. a manufacturing plant. Um, and, and so we have to cancel it. Uh, there is no, you know, I can't get a hold of anybody on the phone. I'm trying to call. I'm trying to keep everybody calm. And so we have to cancel this event and um, fire the plant back up and everybody go back to work. And they were furious uh, as they should be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, they were, they were, they were really, really mad at me. And I had a, what the hell am I doing here moment where I had a little pity party, um, around, you know, uh, why am I the only one here? Where's the rest of the company? Where's the rest of my team? Why don't I have a team? Um, you know, is this really my job to drive around at five o'clock in the morning, (laughs) make sure these things work? None of my friends are doing this. My friends are all in Nashville, you know, doing whatever, like, why am I here? Why is this even my career path? You know, you, the, the train starts and it leaves yeah, the station sure. and, and, it, and it goes into, you know, all of these different places. But the reality is, 
what I learned from that experience and, and many others is, yes, that is your job. When you're the senior director of operations, <laughs> that is your job. And so, you know, it sucks. It's not fun. But what can you learn from it? And how can you make the business work better? What, what failed? And go solve that problem so it never happens again. Um, you know, go work with the vendor to, to do whatever. Um, and so you, when you get those situations, giving yourself some space, um, you know, once you've, you know, once the, once you've gotten, gotten a little bit of space from the situation, um, uh, think about what, what can I do to prevent this from happening again? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really focus on solving the problem because, you know, that is your job. And, and those typically don't happen every day. Uh, and they happen occasionally. And, um, you know, you just have to, to deal with them and, and uh, acknowledge that those are going to happen and, uh, and go solve the problem. Uh, so I've had a lot of those. They, they have been, each one has been, oh my gosh, that came out of right field. But, um, you know, the, that's what makes like, there's, there's beauty and fun in those as well. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially for now when you can talk about it later. And I think it's important, like you said, to give yourself that moment and not let it carry over and into all the other areas, not only of your company, but your life too. And that's right. You know, give yourself that moment of that pity party, but you know, yeah. leave, leave it there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you're a master of productivity as well. Um, you know, you talk about mastering your email, setting up meetings properly, planning, you know, scheduling your day. And I even, I even started using one of the, uh, I've used some different project management uh, platforms before, but I use one of the ones now that you mentioned in the book, but you know, sure, talk about that some, uh, you're maybe just a day. Like yep. what does your day look like to sure. make sure that, you know, each minute is accounted for and that you're on task? Yeah, sure. And, and I'll give a little context, um, as well with that. So th this is an area where I have loved, um, studying this stuff and, and lots of, uh, Lots of phraserisms have come out of years of, of refining this. Um, but if you think about I, for 15 years now, and I have tried this in many different companies, um, I can walk into almost any corporate office uh, in the country, and at 8 o'clock, um, I can walk down the hall and find any random manager and above and say and ask him this question. And no one's ever been able to answer this question in all of my years of doing this. And the question is, in two hours from now, so it's 8 a.m., what are you going to be doing with your time if you're not in a meeting or you're not answering email? Mm. Three, two, one, answer. No one's ever been able to answer it, ever. Yeah. Uh, and so if you think about that, we have the modern employee has slowly drifted um, as technology has developed away from owning our day. We have, our day has become everybody else's and we have stopped planning and prioritizing um, our work. And, and so I have spent a lot of time uh, re-engineering my day to be my day. Um, and so here, here's what mine looks like. Um, at, the end of, at the end of every day, 
Um, I have about 15 minutes blocked on my calendar at whatever time, 5.30, to plan tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. And so when I walk into, uh, when I sit down in front of my computer, I have every minute of the entire day planned out. Mm -hmm. um, every minute. There is no blank space. And when I say planned out, it's on my Outlook calendar. So we use Outlook within our company. And so that's composed of, of really four things. One is, is time for emails and phone calls. Those are dedicated blocks of time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, two is meetings. I have a ton of meetings. I'm in probably 40 meetings a week um, or phone calls. Um, three is breaks. So lunch, I put, you know, I put lunch, I schedule an appointment with myself to eat lunch. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I do that, um, you know, by myself and I step away. Sometimes I, I you know, I, I don't, but, um, and then four is actual work activities, you know, mm -hmm. doing, doing tasks, initiatives, budgets, working on presentations, you know, doing reviews, all, all the, the stuff that a manager has to do. Um, and so all of that is, is set on my calendar. So the, the email time is blocked. I do a block in the morning. I do some midday and I do some at the end of the day. If I'm not, if it's not during those times, um, I actually close out of email. Uh, yeah. And I found a, I found a secret to email in the upper right hand corner. There's a little black X <laughs> and if you click on it, it goes away. Um, and you don't get email if the email system's not up. Um, and, and so I only check email during that. And when I'm in meetings, I'm just in meetings, but all of the other time, which is typically white space for people, um, I have, I have scheduled 30 and 60 minute blocks of time to, to actually do specific pieces of, or bodies of work mm -hmm. tasks that I have told myself that are important today. And, and so the difference in that, if I wasn't doing that, what I used to do, which is what most people do in corporate America is you come in, you sit down, you open up your email, you work on your emails, your calendar pops up and says you have a meeting. You go to that meeting, yeah. um, you leave that meeting, you come sit back down, you go back to your email and you start working on your emails and you ping pong back and forth between meetings and emails. And at the end of the day, you've gone to a bunch of meetings and you've answered a bunch of emails but you haven't actually worked on work um, mm. or tasks or initiatives or, or things that you're responsible for. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, I have to do this tonight. Or, Oh my gosh, I have to do this um, tomorrow while I'm also checking emails. And so um, it doesn't always work. My day blows up all the time mm. and something comes in from left field and I have to clear the deck. Um, but for me, this is a five to 10 minute investment of mm, time. Sure. Sure. Per day. So call it 25 to 50 minutes of investment to do this prioritization. I think I get 20% productivity back on a full week. So would I invest 30 minutes, you know, to get four, you know, 10 hours back? Um, absolutely. Even if it blows up, um, you know, 20% of the time. So um, it, this is really hard. I, I have been doing yeah. this. Yeah years and I still backslide. <laughs> I still, well, um, there's two I, things, right? One is the commitment to plan. The other is, are you going to stick to it every day? That's right. And, and we love to go back to your habits. Email is like cutting the grass. 
the grass was high and now it's low and I can feel good about that. And I did it. Uh, email. I had a hundred. Now I have 50. Um, I got something done and I did it yeah. and I can feel good about that. So it's, it's, it's dangerous. Um, and it's not really an email management system. It's, it's about working on the things that you've told yourself are important mm -hmm. in a dedicated manner. Uh, because there are studies that if you, if you do work and try to check email at the same time, every time you, your brain moves from work to email, you have a three to five minute loss in productivity. Mm -hmm. So if I check five emails during an hour while I'm also working on a PowerPoint presentation, um, I'm losing 15 to 20 minutes of, of brain horsepower um, just to ramp back up to what sure. I was doing. So, you know, the other thing I've noticed too with that is, is I have activities scheduled throughout the week. And what I've noticed is when I hit, we'll just call it one, like a business development block, like an hour block. And that's all I'm doing. If you close everything else out, mm -hmm. if you focus on that for an hour, when you come out of that, you feel like you've done all that you need to yeah. do for that day. Like right. the, the high you hit, that you yeah. forget about, like you're saying, because of all this other stuff going on. If you, if you focus on one thing, when you come out of these tasks, you're, you're, it's a high. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we like that feeling of accomplishing something and um, you can get that same shot of dopamine from knocking out a big task or initiative that you've needed to do as well. So it, it definitely resonates with us emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Finding peace. What does Fraser do to, to find peace? You're an yeah. outdoorsman, right? You yeah. Hike? Are you a hiker? Uh, I'm a I'm a big trail runner. Okay. Uh, I'm a big paddleboarder. Um, I'm a hiker. I'm a fly fisherman. Um, uh, I do a lot of outdoors activities for for peace. You know, kind of at a at a more global level, peace for me is um, I do a lot of intense personal reflection, mm -hmm. but I also give myself a break. And, you know, that intense personal reflection, if taken too far, it can be detrimental. So, you know, once you've done it, think about it like a hammer. Like you've used that hammer, now put the hammer down mm -hmm. and don't use it anymore. And when it's time to stop worrying or thinking or planning or preparing, um, the other side is, is, you know, give yourself a break. Mm -hmm. And so think about that as a Venn diagram and the intersection of intense personal reflection and give yourself a break that's the sweet spot. So for me pr professionally, that's, that's where I find peace is to know I've put in the work of thinking and preparing and planning and analyzing, but also like Fraser, you're, you're doing just fine. Like you are doing all the right things. Um, you're on a path to, you know, being somewhere better than you were yesterday. Yeah. Just be cool with that. And and if you can find that place, then I find a lot of peace and you can just be okay with, with where you are. Honoring the process. Like you said earlier, that's right. Not, not the end goal, but the, the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you've written the book. What's exciting now? Like, what do you have on the forefront? Any new projects or anything coming up? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really trying to, my, my DNA is to move on to the next thing, uh, my wiring, but I really want to focus on this and mm -hmm. it has been super fun to, 
to do things like this or to meet with business leaders, um, engage with young professionals and help them. So the, the inbound has been pretty uh, tremendous and flattering from folks just mm -hmm. wanting to get closer on this. So I'm, I'm running towards that and I'm embracing, you know, all, all of the, um, the ways I can connect and help people um, through this project. So I'm going to keep, keep riding this wave, um, you know, as long as I can. And, um, and I think it could be, you know, some type of platform for, you know, for a long haul to, to work with people on it. Yeah, so. it's, it's exciting. I know your brother was excited. He was a big cheerleader when he oh. reached out. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, just a couple of fun little things, uh, for you, and this is going to be mainly personal, I think, but sure. Here's just some fun topics to wrap it up with a uh, weird habit or absurd thing that you love that maybe most people don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, absurd thing. Um, and we just touched on this a little bit. So I, I, and this is actually my, my picture in the back of the book. Um, usually it's, you know, business attire or bow tie yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I kind of wanted to thumb my nose a little bit at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of the traditional publishing process. Um, so I put a picture of me uh, in, in a kind of trail running outfit, but I love to do really intense and difficult one day physical, um, you know, pushes or challenges. And mm -hmm. so um, that particular one in the back of the book was, was called the Zion Traverse. So Zion National Park in uh, out in Utah, yeah. the Zion Traverse is a 50 mile trail. Um, and I went out with some buddies and, and we ran the whole thing in one day. So 14 and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love doing physically hard things that kind of challenge me physically and mentally. Like mm -hmm. I know I'm going to go into a dark place at some point during that mm -hmm. process and, and kind of uh, exploring what it's like to go there and then come back out of it at some point. So whether it's, I've done a cross the Grand Canyon, ran across the Grand Canyon and back, rim to rim right. to rim, Zion Traverse, you know, a 30-mile paddleboard day. Um, you know, I've got, got a couple on the calendar for this year. So that's, a, that's definitely a weird or unique habit here. No, I like it. Um, what about over the past year, few years, is there a new belief or a behavior, uh, habit, something like that that has improved your life? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Good, good one. So probably what I've learned and, and value more and more is, is the personal community that you have, um, the people that you surround yourself with. And whether that's a workout group or a Bible study or, a, you know, shared hobby um, group, but probably the thing that has most benefited me is, is finding those micro communities mm -hmm. uh, that that resonate with me and uh, and typically uh, when I find those th those people lift me up and you know it's said that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with so trying to find good people mm -hmm. to put myself around and and I always pick up tactics and habits and uh, and things from those people so finding that micro community around common mm -hmm. shared interest and you know, putting myself around people that, that make me a better person has been uh, a real uh, maturation process. Mm, excellent. And then this is always such a big one, right? But what do you, what do you believe your purpose is here on earth? 
You know, my, mine is pretty broad in general, uh, and I've had this value or thought for a long time, but it's, it, for me, it's to have the maximum positive impact on, or the maximum positive effect on, on life. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily, you know, partly my life, but that could look like, you know, when I take my kids to Moe's, when my wife and I take our kids to Moe's for, <laughs> you know, quesadillas, that we look the person in the eye and say, hey, how's your day going? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it could be very small things like that. It could be, um, you know, working with uh, being a mentor to somebody. It could be, um, you know, doing this podcast and, and reaching other people. It could be, you know, stopping the janitor in our building and saying, hey, thanks for keeping this place looking great. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, if I can keep that kind of umbrella uh, value at the forefront to me, that's, that's my purpose. Um, yeah. and it's ap applicable to a lot of different ways. And, and that's what, you know, selfishly, uh, makes me feel good as well. Well, and you're already doing that. So thank you for that. I mean, through the book, through, like you already said, with some of the, the young professionals that you're mentoring, and I, and I really think that your book's going to do a lot of that as well and open a lot of great doors in the future. And to that note, I'll make sure that we have a link up in the podcast show notes for people to click and go to Amazon or your website. That way they can engage more with, you know, everything that you have going on there. And I know you put up a lot of good stuff on LinkedIn as well. So people can follow you there. Uh, but what, what is the best way for people to stay engaged with you? Maybe stop by and say, say hi, send you a message. Yeah. Follow what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I kind of take a little bit of different approach from, from a lot of, uh, um, you know, writers or, or speakers or whatnot. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't think in 140 characters on Twitter or, or Instagram, yeah. you yeah. know, our, our time, we can't chop it up so much. So um I'm glad to connect with anybody on LinkedIn professionally. My email address is in the back of the book um, and, and, you know, welcome questions um, that way. Uh, I, I try to focus on, um, you know, people who are interested in me and this material. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Patreon, but I have a Patreon page where mm -hmm. um, people can actually um, engage more deeply with mm -hmm. me and, conversations or problem solving it's, it's a platform for um for communication and and so you can find uh, monkey feelings uh is the yeah, name of the yeah. patreon page okay um and then fraser button on linkedin um as well so uh would would welcome any uh any interactions with folks good good well thanks again and look forward to staying in touch with you and hearing more stories about the impact your book has Eric, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real treat to, uh, to be with you and, and appreciate all the work that you're doing as well. Likewise. Activate listeners. Wasn't Frazier incredible? I took so many notes that will help me activate success in my career and being more purposeful about all areas of my life. Thanks for jumping on during your run, commute, or while walking the dog. Go to Fraser's website, monkeyfeelings.com, and grab a copy of his brand new book, A Monkey Could Do Your Job. It will help you activate success in many areas of your life. I'm sure you've already thought of a person or maybe a group that you could share this episode with. 
so they can activate this area of their life. That thought came for a reason. Do that today. It's all about activating your community, your life.